137. Psalm 137. Certainly desire your prayers this morning that the Lord would help us. Realize I can't do anything without Him. I need His help and I need His touch. And I feel, as the brother did in Sunday school this morning, I've tried to pray and study and felt pretty strongly about this scripture and about this thought that I have on my heart this morning to deliver to you. But my mind and heart have went a million ways and a million places. And finally I just got to the place. I said, Lord, you just bring to my remembrance what you want me to say this morning. Keep me from saying what you don't want me to say. And help me to be a help and a blessing to the people of God. And so that's my heart's desire this morning is to be a help to you. And the only way I can help you is if the Lord helps me. I thought a lot about, and I have thought a lot about a lot of different things, that uh, the messages that were preached, and Brother Pace was with us, and the other brethren as well, and I'm not knocking them at all, but just some things Brother Pace said. I thought a lot, and I've listened to it probably, I don't know, six or seven times since he preached it, the message about the Syrophoenician woman. And I thought about her, her cry was, help me. And the brother Pace said, she was saying, before you can help my daughter, you're going to have to help me. And uh, that's the way I feel this morning as your pastor, as your preacher. For me to help you, I I need the Lord to help me. And I can't do it without Him. Any preacher that stands and says he can is in for a rude awakening because we can't. We have no power within ourselves. Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing in me I cannot preach. I don't know how. Any man that ever says he does doesn't understand what he's saying. I don't know how to preach. No man knows how to preach. It takes God and the Spirit of God to preach a man. And I need the Lord's help this morning. I want to be a help to you. And I am satisfied in my spirit that there are folks here, more than one, that need help from the Lord and need to hear what I have to say from the Lord today. Psalm 137, when you found your place, if you'd stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. I I don't want to read the whole psalm. It's only nine verses. But I just want to read the verses that are stirring in my heart today. Beginning in verse number one, Psalm 137 says, By the rivers of Babylon there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to preach this morning, if God help me, for just a few minutes on have you lost your song? 
Have you lost your song? Now if we look in the Word of God and understand about songs, especially in the Old Testament, they were always a manifestation of the fellowship that God's people enjoyed with God. Songs were sung in times of victory. Seems like that if you read the Old Testament, every time that God showed Himself strong and mighty, and the people of God had a victory, they overcame their enemies, that they were blessed with a song. I thought about specifically the thing that came to my mind first off was Moses when uh, uh, the Lord parted the Red Sea and they crossed over on dry ground. And then they looked back as Pharaoh and his army came into the water and God, that same water that God stood up and the Bible said that he congealed it in the midst of the sea. It was as walls unto them is what the Bible said. And uh, the psalmist said it was with one blast of his nostrils. I mean, it didn't uh, uh, effort God at all. It didn't exhaust God to part that water for them. And they went across on dry ground and Pharaoh pursued them into the sea. And as they come across on the other side, the Bible said that the same God that stood the waters up, he released the waters and he drowned Pharaoh and his army behind the children of Israel. And the very next chapter said, and Moses sang this song unto the Lord. And so a song is a manifestation of both praise and worship. I think we'll still be kind of along the same lines or train of thought that we've been for the last few services about our worship and I'll probably say a little bit about praise. Of course, we know that there are two different things, two separate entities. That praise is about being wrapped up in the blessings of God, the things that God has done, and then worship is being wrapped up in God alone. But besides the blessings, apart from the blessings, apart from His works, just being wrapped up in Him. And so, in the Old Testament, every time that we read about the people of God, singing. It was a result of their praise and their worship for God and for what God had done. And I thought about in all the victories that the people of God have experienced and I'm just going to take my time. I don't know probably won't get in a very high gear this morning but I want to help you if God will help me. I thought about all the victories that the people of God have had. And every time seemed like they had a victory, they got another song. But yet just one defeat could take all those songs away. I thought about it's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32. I believe it is that Solomon had a thousand and five songs. And yet at the end of his life, he was led away. I love many strange women. They turned his heart. Read the Bible. said they turned his heart away from God. And it didn't matter at that moment how many songs Solomon had. He lost them all. And I'm going to tell you this morning, as the child of God, you can lose your song. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Here in the land of Babylon, they were still the chosen of God. 
If we're going to use Old Testament, we've got to use Old Testament language, but we can make a New Testament application to us as the people of God. They're still God's people, even in the midst of Babylon. But they have sinned. They, the, the psalm starts off by the rivers of Babylon. It was because of their sin that they are here. It was not that God just decided one day to let Nebuchadnezzar come in. And of course we read in the Old Testament there were many times that there were many events of this taken away from the land of Israel and the land of Judah and Jerusalem into Babylon. It all happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar came in the first time and he besieged Jerusalem and he made the king of Israel pay tribute to him. And while he was there, he took the chosen, the best that were in the land of Israel. And that's where we read about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were part of the chosen, part of the best that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the Israel on the first captivity. And then he would come in again. And then the king would refuse to pay tribute. And so then he would get angry and come in and he would destroy Jerusalem. He would destroy the temple. He would tear down the walls and burn the gates of fire. And that's the place, the shape that we find ourselves in. We read about the people of God in Nehemiah. When Nehemiah inquires about the remnant, they've not all come out. There's still a remnant there, but he inquires about them. And he inquires about Jerusalem. And he gets that great message, that terrible word, that the remnant in great affliction and reproach and the gates are burned with fire and the walls are torn down. And it's Nehemiah that says, as Nehemiah prays, he said, we have sinned. It is me and my father's house. We are the reason that we're in the shape we're in. He said, we remember the words that you commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if you obey me, I'll bless you. But he said, if you transgress, he said, I'll scatter you abroad among the nations of the earth. And Nehemiah said, we've sinned. We have transgressed. And that's why we are where we are today. We've lost our song. I understand we're not perfect people. I understand this morning, I'm just preaching hats on my heart. You say, preacher, you're in a different gear this morning. I know, but we better get what I'm trying to say this morning, what the Lord is wanting to say to us from the Word of God. I know we're not perfect people. And you don't have to live a perfect life in order to worship. But God does not condone sin. He won't look over your sin. And you'll never be able to worship or praise Him correctly as long as there's unrepentant sin in the life of the believer. It causes distress. It causes misery. It causes bondage. And if it doesn't cause that in your life, if you can sin and get by if you can sin and it doesn't bother you then according to this book right here you're not born again they said we sat down any time in the word of God the people of God are recorded as sitting down it's always a type of mourning they said we're in bad shape they said we wept when we remembered Zion they didn't say we wept And they are weeping because of their present state. But they're really saying we're weeping because we remember how it used to be. 
And they're not talking about what the last generation had saw. We're living in those days today where all we want to talk about is what God did a hundred years ago. I thank God for what he did back then. But he's the same God today. They're not weeping about what grandma said or grandpa said. They're weeping about what they have seen, what they have experienced, how it used to be for them personally and where they are now. They said, we've sinned. It's caused us to come to this place. They said, we've been carried away captive. I wonder about you this morning. Has your sin carried you away captive? Now I'm preaching safe folk this morning. The people of God. Have you been wasted? That's what they said. They said they that wasted us. I felt really compelled. The Holy Spirit began to work in me. And I got to studying on that word wasted. And the word wasted means to be vexed. And that's the word we have in the New Testament. In Second Peter chapter 2. About a man by the name of Lot. And the Bible said he was a righteous man. He was God's people. He was God's man. But he was vexed daily. His soul was vexed. And the word vexed means to be tormented. And the word vexed means to be distressed. And the word vexed means to be put in turmoil. And the Bible said by he what he saw and what he heard daily. Lot was living in the midst of Sodom. There came a time when Abraham's herdsmen and their cattle and Lot's herdsmen and his cattle, God had blessed both of them. God bless Lot for Abraham's sake. There was a strife. They could not dwell together. And I'm going to just say what the best thing they could have done is said let's get rid of some of these and make it where we can dwell together. Because the promise of God was with Abraham. And the day they separated was the day everything started going downhill for Lot. And they, Abraham said, let's separate. Let's part ways. He said, you choose whichever way you want and I'll take the other way. And the Bible said, Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. It does not record that he went into Sodom from day one, but what he saw and what he heard, it plagued him, it vexed him. And before you know it, he's not looking at Sodom. He's in Sodom. We can say what we want to, but I'm not going to declare a man unrighteous that God declared righteous. People, preachers can say what they want to say about Lot, but God said he was a righteous man. That's why the sin bothered him. It's because he knew it was wrong. He knew he didn't belong there. But he got so swept up and so sucked in by the things that were going on around him that it put him in bondage. It vexed his soul. And Lot lost his song in Sodom. Let me tell you how long Lot lost his song. He lost it so long that when the angel of the Lord came, those men, and said, you need to get out and tell your families to get out. That when Lot went to his sons-in-law and his daughters and told them what God had said, the Bible said he seemed like one that mocked. They didn't believe him. 
They thought he was making up stories or that it was some figment of his imagination and they believed him not. Let me tell you how long Lot had been in Sodom. Long enough that when he got the word to get out, he still tarried. Go home and read the Bible. He tarried. And the Bible said the angel of the Lord took him by the hand and led him out. I'm going to tell you, child of God, this morning, you may not lose your salvation. I understand what we have in Christ is eternal. And I'm not here this morning preaching a license to sin either. Because sin will cost you. There were some things if we want to preach the story of the prodigal son, let's preach it in the Bible way and say that even though he did come home, thank God for restoration. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for the father that welcomed him back in again. Had a ring to put on him and a robe to put on him and shoes to put on him and a fatted calf ready to kill. But he lost some things in the far country he never ever could get back. Never did. That elder son come in. Sometimes I think in the church world today we'd do better to preach more about the elder brother than we would about the younger brother. Because we got a bunch of high-minded people in the church that are like the elder brother and say, all these years have I served thee. I mean, if you study the scripture, that's what he said. I don't, I think that gives us light of the fact that what happened to the younger son didn't happen overnight. It wasn't a week or two or a month or two. He said, all these many years I've served thee and you never gave me a kid. You never let me make marry with my friends. And he said, but ever since this, thy son, he never would even call him his brother. He said, he's your son. And he's devoured your living with harlots. And he's come in. And you've made mad for him. This is what the father said. He said, son, all I have is thine. In other words, he said, this boy that left home with everything, left home with his portion, left home with his inheritance. Uh, this father must have been a pretty rich man uh, in order to go ahead and divide the Bible. It does not say he divided to him. It said he divided to them. He went ahead and gave both of them everything that was coming to them. Uh, and he said he's went away full, uh, but he's come home again empty. And those are things he'll never get back again. We can think about Elimelech leaving Bethlehem Judah and going to Moab. You know what he did? He lost his song. Not only did he lose his song, he lost his life. And then his sons died. And then there's Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. And Orpah goes back. Naomi cleaves to Ruth. She comes in the city. They said, it's not this Naomi, which means pleasant one, beautiful one. She said, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Myra, which means bitterness. She said, I went out full, but the Lord brought me home again empty. She said, I lost some things in Moab. I'll never get back again. I'm going to tell you, if you fool around with sin, you'll lose things you'll never get back again. But now i got good news for you this morning. You can get your song back. See, I'm encouraged in what really stirred in my heart, what God really worked in me. 
see is the fact in verse number two in the midst of all their depression and all their discouragement they're down there by the rivers of Babylon they're weeping the water sound makes them weeping we talk about in the mountains weeping willows and that's where they're around they're around all kinds of weeping things and in the midst of all that these people that have carried them away say sing us the Lord's song and they, the Bible said they required mirth of us what that means is they were saying not only sing but smile while you're singing entertain us make us happy it's the same thing that Philistines did to Samson when they brought him in and said make Samson make us sport make us entertainment let's get a good laugh at Samson that's what the people were doing to the children of Israel they're just rubbing salt in the wound. And I don't know how you are. I'm going to confess my own faults. That's what the Bible said to do. It didn't say confess your sin. It said confess your faults. And one of my faults is when I get discouraged and when I get down and out, that sometimes it makes me angry. And if it had been me, it would have been recorded to me that I took my harp and I dashed it to pieces. And said, I'll never sing again. But they didn't dash them to pieces. They just hung them up on the willow. You say, why'd they do that? Because there would be a day that the Lord would bring them out. That they would turn from their sin. That they would repent get right with God. And God would bring them out and give them a song again. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you've lost your song, if you've strayed away, if your fellowship's broken, if you haven't been able to worship, if you haven't been able to praise, if the song couldn't come off your lips, if you've hung your harp on the willow, pick it up again. God can make it right. God can restore you again. Or you can get back in fellowship and you can sing again. In the end of the story, as bad as it is, about Elimelech and Naomi and all their situation, in the end of the story, Naomi got her song back. The Bible said, the women said, and they sung that a man child is born to Naomi and she got her song back. I'm going to tell you, you can get it back too. Brother Tim talked this morning on Jacob. And I thought about Jacob. How that Jacob did all he did. And I'm going to tell you, on the, I know from the beginning he was God's chosen. But I really believe that day at Penal where Jacob met with God. And then he passed over Penuel, halting on his thigh. That Jacob got a song on that day. For God said, I'm going to change your name. No longer are you going to be Jacob. That carries with it that notion of supplanting. That notion of trickery. That notion of deceit. That everybody hears your name. That knows who you are. But he said, I'm going to give you a new name. I said, I'm going to call you Israel, which means a prince of God. He said, for I'm going to make out of you a great nation of people. And Jacob got his song, but Jacob lost it. He lost it. You say, you got Bible for it? I do. Genesis chapter 45, he's lost his song. You say, how do you know? In your Bible. 
after that chapter that we were in, what, 32 this morning? After that chapter, any time Jacob was serving his flesh, any time Jacob wasn't considering God, after Genesis chapter 32, he's always called Jacob. But any time he's in fellowship with God and his faith is right and his song's right, he's called Israel. And in Genesis 45, there's a famine in the land. His youngest son at that time, now he's got another son, but at that time his youngest son Joseph has been betrayed by his own brothers. Jacob don't know it. All Jacob knows is Joseph's dead. They brought a bloody coat back and said a wild animal's killed Joseph and he was Jacob's son of his old age and he loved Joseph and he sat down and he wept and he cried and he lost his soul. I'm going to tell you it won't necessarily just be sin. But there are circumstances and situations and storms that if we're not careful, we'll let it take our song away. And Jacob wept over his son and he lost his song on that day. And it's going to take years for Jacob to get it back. Then boys grow up. In Genesis 45, there's a famine in the land over the face of the whole earth. Jacob don't know that Joseph is alive. And his brethren don't know that he's commander over the land of Egypt, second in command under Pharaoh. And that God gave him the interpretation of the dream. And that there'd be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And they need to store up in the seven years of plenty so they wouldn't starve to death in the seven years of famine. And they made storehouses. And Pharaoh put Joseph over them all. And when they come to buy corn, he said, go to Joseph. The Bible said, go home and read it. Genesis 45, I believe. The Bible said, when Jacob, not Israel, he still ain't got his song back. When Jacob heard there was corn in Egypt. He said his sons, his older sons, he would not let Benjamin go. He was afraid what happened to Joseph might happen to Benjamin. And so he sent his elder sons and said, why sit we here and starve? I've heard there's corn in Egypt. Go buy some. And he goes down there. They go down there. And Joseph gives them corn. They pay for the corn. He puts the money back in the mouth of the sack. They get part of the way home, open the sack, realize it's there. They're afraid they'll be accused of thieving, so they go back and try to make it right. He gives them more corn and more money, not just what they had, but above and beyond, puts a silver cup in one of their sacks and then works it all out to arrest them and bring them back. And he has his self there and all his servants around him. And the Bible said he couldn't hold his self. And he put all the servants out and he wept and he cried and he said, I'm Joseph. Your brother, and revealed himself to them, and they had that meeting up, that reunion. They had that reconciliation. He said, "Go get my daddy and bring him down here. Get all your wives and all your children, and leave where you are, and come down here, and I'll take care of you." And they go back. We all know that story and I preached from it about them wagons. Brother Steve Price probably preached one of the greatest messages I've ever heard about the wagons. And they pulled up in Jacob's house out in the driveway in the yard. Joseph sent all them things. 
He sent wagons with bread and wagons with cheese and wagons with corn and all, all kinds of things. Sent clothes and money. And he said, go get him and bring him back. And they went running in the house and they told Jacob, Joseph's alive. Joseph's alive. I want you to hear it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get it wrong. And they went up out of Egypt, Genesis 45 and 25, and came into the land of Canaan under Jacob, under Jacob, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt, and Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. He still ain't got over what happened now. Now you're going to think I'm real harsh in what I'm saying. Now I'm not saying... I understand in the story he believes his son has died. But it doesn't matter what the storm is, what the situation is, what the problem is. Many of us haven't got a song this morning because we can't get over all the bad things that have happened along the journey. Don't take that the wrong way. Hear what I'm saying? Jacob still didn't have his song. Because he couldn't get over something that he couldn't change if he wanted to. Many of us, and I'm saying us, I've been as guilty as anybody else. Many of us have spent many of our days in depression and discouragement and without a song trying to change things that we have no power to change anyway. Jacob believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Something happened to Jacob. From verse number 26 to verse 27, something happened to Jacob. The Bible said his spirit revived. He experienced revival. What we preach about and talk about in these days is not revival. What revival is is a restoration of worship and praise giving the people of God their song back. And he got revival. And then the next verse said, and Israel said... Ain't that something from verse 27? If you really want to get technical, if you want to get technical, there are four words that separate him being Jacob to him being Israel. In verse 27 it says Jacob. And the only words between are their father revived and and then it says Israel said it is enough. Say what happened? He got his song back. He said, I will go and see Joseph before I die. And he goes to Egypt in fellowship with Joseph. See, that's the thing. In the Scriptures, Joseph is the greatest type of Christ in all the Word of God. There is no perfect type. But Joseph is the most perfect type in all the Word of God. See, what made Jacob lose his song is he had no fellowship with Joseph. And I'm going to tell you what will make you lose your song. I'm not going to major on the fact it doesn't matter what it is that caused it. It may be sin. 
It may be that we as the people of God and surely we have in this church age we have forsaken God. We have turned away from God. We have served our own ways, our own wants, our own wishes and that's sin and it will take your soul away. But it may not be sin. It may be a storm. It may be circumstances beyond your control. Things you want to be different and the more you try, the worse off it gets and the lower in discouragement you go and the farther away your song is driven. But I'm going to tell you regardless of whether it's sin or whether it's a storm or whether it's circumstances beyond our control but what causes us to lose our soul is our break of fellowship between us and our heavenly Joseph us and God, us and Christ when we lose that fellowship, when we lose that communion, when we lose that intimacy we lose our song but Joseph was yet alive and he wanted his father he wanted that restoration, he wanted that fellowship, he wanted that communion, so he sent for it when that fellowship was restored, you say he didn't even get to Egypt. It didn't matter. Everything that needed to be done was done. And Jacob got his fellowship with his son restored. For he ever laid eyes on him, his spirit revived. And he got his song back. Maybe this morning it's that you feel like that the Lord's abandoned you. You feel like you're all alone. That's how Jacob felt. Even though he was surrounded by all these sons, he still felt all alone because he couldn't get over what happened all them years ago. And I'm not preaching mean. And I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching to you by the help of the Lord. It doesn't matter that here we are among a bunch of people that we love and that love us. And there's fellowship and communion and peace and unity. Thank God for it. But in the midst of it, you feel all alone and your song is gone. But you can get it back. You've hung your harp up on the willow and you've sat down and wept. And you've said, how can I sing the Lord's song. That's really what... I know the whole statement is, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange way? I understand. But what God really set down in my heart every time I read over the psalm, every time I read over it, every time, is how can we sing the Lord's song? You're here this morning and your song's gone. And you've hung your harp up on the willow. And in your spirit, you're asking yourself, how can I sing the Lord's song? Will I ever sing again? Will it ever be like it was again? Will I ever be like I used to be? Will it ever be like it used to be? I'm not talking about things you've heard others tell about or going on somebody else's experience, but the things you've experienced in your own life, the times of closeness, of the times of communion, the times of fellowship, of the times of worship, the times of praise, and now you feel like it's a million miles from you, and you've lost your song, you've hung your harp up, pick it up again, God will make it right again, you can get right again, He can restore it again, you can sing again. You may have come in this morning without a song. I'm glad you can leave with one. You may have come in this morning with your harp hanging on the willow. But you can leave again picking it back up and singing again. 
Even in this wilderness land we're in. I know we're in a strange land. We are. We're not in this. We're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. But I'm glad we can still sing the Lord's song even in a strange land. Have you lost your song this morning? Something happened in your life. The storms of life. Circumstances have come. Maybe there's been trouble in your family. Trouble with your children. Trouble with your spouse. Trouble with whatever it may be. Maybe there's been trouble at work or trouble uh, in the world. Whatever it is. You know this morning whether you have your song or not. We can put on I'm going to say this and I'm done. The people of God all through the Old Testament in the New Testament and even today where we are we are the best at making out like everything's okay when it's not really okay. You may sing when we sing and smile when we smile but deep down inside have you lost your song? Has circumstances of your life Circumstances that you may not, if it's sin this morning, you know all about it. You don't have to sit there and stand your life and ask the Lord to, you know exactly what it is. But it may not be sin this morning. It may just be things that happen you have no control over. But it's discouraged you, it's drained you, it's vexed you, and you've lost your song. You can get it back this morning. You can leave singing. And I'm not talking about literally, physically singing. I'm talking about deep down inside. To be able to sing from our spirit is tied with a close walk with Him. If we go to Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, Be not drunk with wine, verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit, singing and speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns is the very next verse. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord result of that spirit filled life that abundant life that close walk with him and you may have come in this morning without your song I want to tell you you can leave with your song as we stand all over the house I'm done this morning